you know, in Northwest Ohio, uh, people dig a pond and there's a, there's a hill. And where I grew up in Northeast Ohio, there are empty lots with hills. Or maybe there's a lot of snow that fell and all got piled up. Either way, there are hills. And did you ever play King of the Hill or King of the Mountain? Now, if you haven't played it before, somebody runs to the top. And it's like you're playing with six, seven friends. And the goal is to push you off the top, okay? And the goal is to keep them off the top. And the whole question is, who can be king of the hill or king of the mountain? The what? The longest. So you're up top, you feel great, you get to push others down. But if you're not up top, you have to run up and push the other person down. So you can claim to be king of the hill. We usually played it for a half hour or 45 minutes so we got tired and too bruised from rolling down the hill. But uh, deep down inside, oops, forgot my clicker. Deep down inside, we all want to be the what? The king of the hill. We all want to be large and in charge. So I want to ask you, have you ever wanted to be large and in charge? Have you ever said, if I was a president, if I was a governor, if I was a mayor, this is how I'd do it. If I had control of things, this is how it would go. Did you ever say that to yourself? Ever wish that? It'd be going this way. I would make my own decisions. I'd be my own boss, and this is how things would go. You ever wanted to do that? Now, as kids, sometimes uh, we want to be large in charge. Uh, but to act in charge many times reflects those who are invited and not invited. For example, as kids, did you ever build like a tree house or a fort or have team? Because the whole thing was, who got to come in a tree house and who didn't, right? Bill, Joe, Ed, Sam, and welcomed, but Fred, Pete, and uh, Willie aren't, okay? Or Sue and Tina and Trisha can come, but uh, I don't know, Annette and Sally, they can't come. The whole thing about being in charge is those can be invited, those not invited. We have teams and certain people get to play. As teenagers, uh, we invite and don't invite. We have parties. We go to prom together. We go to homecoming together. There's people that we invite, we don't invite. And, and there's get-togethers. There's people we invite and don't invite. And you heard me talk to you about this a couple times, that the lunchroom table is all way about who's invited and who's what not invited. What are you doing sitting at my table? People like you, you're not friends with me, you don't sit here. You see, being large and in charge many times is about those who we hang out with and those who we don't hang out with. And even as adults, we sometimes play large and in charge. Um, I support this financially. I don't support this financially. I befriend people like this. I don't befriend people like this. Uh, in many ways, we play large and in charge with those we include and those we don't include, to be large and in charge. And many of us know what it's like to find out what it's like to be in charge. Um, and sometimes we have declined loans. Um, no, I don't want to go out with you. Maybe in uh, your younger days, admissions not being accepted into school. I know about that. My, my daughter, um, she's a physical therapist. And I know what it's like to walk with her uh, through the admission process, getting into grad school getting a doctor in physical therapy is very difficult to get into that school and maybe experience some of that yourself, which you've been allowed to get in, not allowed to get into, and you find out what it's like to be large and in charge. In a humorous way, when I think about large and in charge, I think about the Seinfeld show. You ever watch that? No soup for you. He's large and in charge. You cut in line. No soup for you. You didn't like my bread. No soup for you. You didn't have the order fast enough. No soup for you. And people called him the soup what? Never mind, okay. He was large and in charge in a very mean way. The Seinfeld show, I think in real life, his name, his name is Larry Johnson. He was large and in charge. Who got soup and who didn't? People said it was the best in the city. I don't know about that. But then in a much more caring way, in the beaches of Omaha, 
Uh, he was a captain. He was a medic with the 2nd Battalion. Uh, he rode ashore with the soldiers there. His job wasn't to fight. His job was to save lives. And being a medic there, he was leading another, a number of younger medics who've never experienced battle. And there they learned three words for the soldiers who are wounded. I think a couple thousand Americans got shot and killed on Omaha Beach. And they learned the words routine. It was just a leg injury. Maybe the bullet went through their leg. He's going to need some stitches. It's routine. Um, or maybe it's priority. We need to get him, take care of him. We can save him. And there are those who are what? Gone. It's just a matter of moments before they leave this earth. As a medic, he had to be large and in charge. He had to classify wounded soldiers. Routine, they'll be okay for a couple hours. Priority, let's get him off here. Let's evacuate him. We can save his life and gone. It's too late. Large and in charge for good or for bad. And so Jesus tells a parable today about being large and in charge. It's about a wedding feast. So, so let me what's your appetite? What's the last wedding feast you've been to? Um, you can relate to that, correct? Um, I think about, I know it sounds sort of odd, but I watched Monday Night Football and the Kansas City Chiefs were playing. And you know, Kelchie's dating who? Taylor Swift. Okay, and she's up in the club lounge area. Matter of fact, uh, the Swifty shirts for the Chiefs, they're now 400% increase in sales. Now, what would it be like if Travis Kelsey, like the all-world tight end for the Chiefs, would marry Taylor Swift. That would be the wedding of the what? I don't know, maybe as great as Princess Diana, but that would be quite a wedding, quite a marriage feast. So, friends in Christ, I want you to go into that picture, something humongous, something tremendous. And so here Jesus tells a parable about a gigantic wedding feast. Now, once again, parables are not nice stories for nice children, nice classrooms by nice teachers. Get that out of your head. Parables are iron fists uh, in velvet gloves. Whenever Jesus tells a parable, someone's being comforted and someone's getting their uh, socks knocked off. And so let me tell the parable to you. And so the king throws an extravagant feast, a wedding feast, and he invites people. Now, I know how this works because I've done about 20 or 30 weddings here. What usually happens is, is about six to eight months before the wedding, save the date. You get a card in the mail. And then being a pastor here, then you get an invite. And sometimes you get to pick what you want on the menu. Sometimes really good. Do you want, uh, okay, do you want crack crab or do you want filet mignon? I said, honey, this is pretty good, okay? You get to pick which one you want, all right? Then you have to mail it back and then you have to sign up. You all understand how that goes, right? Well, in Jesus' day, wedding invitations were done person to person. The king would send out his servants and you would be invited personally come to the wedding feast. And it was a big deal. There's a lot of money. Uh, you heard in scripture, the fat calf, uh, the, the, the meat is going to be a, a wonderful wedding feast. So in this parable, let me tell the parable to you some more. In this parable, uh, he invites people to his marriage feast, face to face, person to person. Uh, and then they reject the messengers. Uh, we don't want to come. And they send out another group of, of messengers. Uh, then, then Jesus, even, God even sends out his son. And what do they do? Well, they killed the master's son and they harmed those who are inviting to a feast. That sort of sounds really odd. I'm sending people to come to this great feast and they're harming, harming my messengers. Let's talk about part two. Part two is God punishes them. He punishes the people who harm his messengers. And then also, he says, well, I want to have my feast filled up. I'm going to, I'm going to go out to, to everyone. Everyone's going to be invited both the good and the bad. I just want to make sure that my wedding feast is filled. And then 
at the wedding feast, he sees someone not properly dressed. He not only throws him out, but the Bible says they tie his hand and feet and throw him out of the wedding party. And so you, hear, you have the parable now. You have the story now. King, wedding feast, sends out messengers. They harm the messengers. Uh, they kill the son. Then Jesus punishes them. And, and, and then the king sees someone not properly dressed and throws him out. That, that, that's, that's a parable now. So let me go ahead and share with you what this means, okay? God is large and in charge. Did, did you hear the, the song, the choir song? Rejoice the Lord is king. He is God. He makes the rules we don't. He's in control of everything. God is large and in charge. He's the creator of all. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Um, he knows everything. He is God, large and in charge. And ready for this? He decides who is and who is not welcomed into his kingdom. God decides who's going to be in heaven and who's not. Now, for us, uh, we're going to take back at that a little bit because the, the whole thing in American society, the, the rhetoric and the, the hubris that we hear in American society is, well, God's loving and kind. Don't worry about it. It's all cool. But here in this parable, God's large and in charge, and he says who's going to come to his wedding feast of eternity and who's not. If you're hearing this properly, I think part of you might need to say, well, maybe I'm not one who's what? Invited. And that sounds rather harsh, Pastor Muse, that God decides who comes and who doesn't come into his eternal banquet, into his kingdom. So let me go ahead and share some more. The lesson of the parable is this. Many reject God's invitation and the gift of grace. The invite is sent out often. Friends in Christ, there's a church sign out there. And we have Bible verses about the salvation of God. Uh, there's a church here. A quarter of a mile, there's a church. About 300 yards of a church that way. There's another church over here. In this whole community, they know. They see the cross. Correct? Being here as your pastor, I've probably officiated 70 to 80 funerals. There's always with more people I don't know in those funeral services than I do know. I probably officiated 20 to 30 weddings, always more people that I don't know than I know, and probably 50 or 60 baptisms, always with friends. What I'm trying to get at is that there's a lot of people who hear the gospel. And what's the response? Well, take a look around. Are all the pews filled? It's just not our church, it's what? Every church. And to get more theological with you, did everybody respond to Jesus' great invite to come to the kingdom? And we all have the answer. What's the answer? No. Many reject the invite. I don't want to come to your wedding feast. I don't care how extravagant it is. I have more important things to do. Many reject God's grace, which leads me to this statement. Damnation is self-inflicted. If someone is in hell, if someone's in hell for eternity, it's on them. It's that person's fault. You're in hell, you get the blame. Because Jesus did what? Invite you. You did see the cross. You did hear the message Jesus died for you. You rejected it. Damnation is self-inflicted. That's the point of the parable. God is large and in charge. Now, if you're hearing this properly, you're saying, well, hold on, Pastor Muse sounds a little sharp. God decides who comes and who doesn't come to the, his kingdom to the wedding feast. And damnation is self-inflicted. But friends in Christ... We are chosen in Christ. At 11 o'clock, Joseph Hayes will be baptized in Christ. You've been baptized, you're baptized and chosen in Christ. You have faith. 
which means you believe Jesus died for your sins by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're chosen. So if you're wondering, if you're wondering what about me, well, you believe you've been chosen. You've been baptized, you've been chosen. You know Jesus died for your sins. You repent of your sins, you're chosen. We have a king who is gracious. We have a king who is forgiving. And we have a king what? Who fills the hall with who? Did you hear that in the parable? The king says invite everyone, the good and the bad. Well, why invite the bad? Because the bad might come to faith. And the good might come to faith too. Invite them all. My cross is for all. And friends in Christ, if you're doubting it all, fear not. God is large and in charge. He keeps his promises. Can you read this, this with me? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God, and it is the salvation to everyone who believes. Friends in Christ, if you wonder if you're invited, you're wondering if the wedding feast is for you, well, there is the answer. The gospel is a salvation. Everyone who believes, both the Jew and the Gentile, and those who are invited have a righteousness from Christ. You believe, you confess, you're chosen, you're invited, you're in. So the invitation goes out. You heard Mrs. Grimm share about uh, the Tuesday morning shop with a cop. Why do we do shop with a cop? Why do we have a preschool? Why do we have a school? Why do we have four and nine ministries? You know why? Because we're sending out the what? The invite. Jesus died for you. That's why we have that. The invitation goes out to put on Christ. Why shop with a cop? Someone might see St. John Lutheran Church and say, oh yeah, that's a church that has a cross in it. The invite is for them. We continue to send out the invite continue to graciously, lovingly, and faithful put out the invite that Jesus died for them too. The invitation continues to go out and will continue to do so. Why? Because in the parable, God decides who comes in and who doesn't come into the wedding feast, and his, his desire is that all believe in Jesus as their Savior. So how about this for a closing thought? It'll put a cap on this sermon. Can you all read it with me? And all God's people say...